0: It's up here, Eastside Academy. Next week, bring food. And then, if anybody lives near Costco, there's a delightful woman who needs a ride. Please join me. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace When fears are still, when striving cease
1: My Comforter,
0: my all in all Here in the love of Christ I stand In Christ alone, who took on flesh Fullness of God in helpless faith This gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, sends curbs Life's first cry to final bread Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of men can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Verse with me. But these are recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. This is from John 20, verse 31. But this verse encapsulates everything in the Bible. It's everything that Matthew is talking about and everything that Matthew wants us to know about the kingdom of God on earth. That Jesus, this little baby, is the Christ, Messiah. And that by believing, we might have life in his name. And all that that involves, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, humility, and self-discipline, that is God's essence in a nutshell and what he wants for us. So I have titled my chapter for today, Joy Robbers and Joy Givers. And (laughs) the first question on your question sheet that I wrote for you asks you to describe the time that you experienced joy around the birth of a baby. Now many of you I know are grandparents and probably remember the joy around your first grandchild more than your first child. <laughs> Some of us were a little loopy when we gave birth to our first child. So my daughter asked me to coach her for the birth of our first grandchild, and I took the classes with her, and I read the book, and the day of the labor came, and everything just went like clockwork. It was completely wonderful, and I thought, oh, I could be a midwife, I could be a doula, this is so great. And then my second grandchild was born, and it all went out the window. So, so that's why I'm here today, I'm not a doula. Anyway, but I can hardly wait to tell my friends, I was the first of my friends to have a grandchild. And so on my way home from the hospital, I stopped at the grocery store, and the clerk said to me, what have you been doing today? And I said, oh my gosh, I I coached my daughter, and she wanted to hear all the details of people behind me said, oh, that's so wonderful. Show us pictures. And so I showed up. And it was so, oh, I was with joy givers. It was just wonderful. And then... I went to lunch with a group of my friends. Six of us crammed into a booth at the Thai kitchen, and I was all ready to tell my story. And I said, oh, I just came back from the birth of my first granddaughter. It's so exciting. And someone changed the subject. They all went with her. (laughs) And I sat there completely glum and stunned. My friends had become joy robbers, but strangers Had become joy givers. And that's what we're going to experience in this chapter in uh, chapter 2 of Matthew. So, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are joy givers. I I hope you heard the sermon from last Sunday. And if you were in either of the traditional services, the whole thing was filled with God's message to us is joy. And the music was all joy. So what the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit want us to remember is that He is always joy. God is everything that is joy, love and joy and peace, etc. That's who God is and why He wants to invite us into His presence. So Matthew and Luke tell us about Jesus' birth. For most of us, Christmas is our favorite time of the year. Yeah, my daughter is the children's pastor up at a church in Bellingham, and their children's service, everybody comes dressed as their favorite Christmas character. There's lots of little Marys with towels and little babies. There's sheep, there's wise men, there's shepherds, there's lots of Josephs, lots of Marys. It's just a wonderful, exciting time where everybody shares in this joy. But Matthew, when he describes this story, he does not go into a lot of detail. For example, he tells us that there were magi, or wise men, but he doesn't tell us how many there were. And we do know some things about them, though. We know that their journey must have taken about a year, and we know that they were not in awe of Herod. They must have known he was a violent man. But also, we know that they were wealthy, and we know that they were Gentiles. They were not Jewish. So our chapter 2 begins with this contrast of joy robbers and joy givers. So if you have your Bible there you want to open to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So Matthew begins the story of Jesus' welcome into this world with this introduction of this hostile king and the Jewish leaders. Eugene Peterson translates disturbed as terrified. They were terrified with this news. So what do we learn in this chapter? Well, first of all, Matthew wants us to know that God always keeps his promises. He promised a Messiah, and now the Messiah is here. God wants us to soak this in, that what he says will happen will happen. This chapter also shows us God the Father's providential care of his son. He loves his son. He cares for his son. He takes joy in his son. But we will learn that this providential care does not exempt Jesus from suffering. Sometimes people think, oh, if I become a Christian, I won't suffer. But God didn't spare his son, and sometimes he doesn't spare us either. But what this proves is that his providential care will take care of every moment and be there as it was for Jesus during his trials and his suffering. He will be there for us in our times of trial and suffering. And all of this ends in joy and glory. And when we have suffered and God has comforted us, that gives us the ability to comfort others. So in verse 2 it says... Where was he who was born king of the Jews? You see, these men, when they said born the king of the Jews, this is what set off the bells in Herod's head, because he was not born a king of the Jews. You see, Herod was descended from Esau. Now, Esau and Jacob were brothers. Esau was the oldest. He was supposed to get the birthright of all of the promises. But one day he came home hungry from hunting, and Jacob was there, and Jacob had some porridge. And Esau said, give me that porridge. And he said, well, I'll give it to you if you give me your birthright. And he said, well, what good is that if I'm dead? So he sold his birthright for a mess of porridge, and Herod is descended from him. Jesus is descended from the other brother, Jacob. So that's why Herod hears these danger, danger, danger. So, Herod, not born a king. Jesus, a threat to his throne. So when the Gentiles say, king of the Jews, the Jews would understand that they mean Messiah. (coughs) So he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. This violent and ruthless man, is afraid, very afraid. All bullies have fear at their core. But the Gentiles, these foreigners, are going to welcome and worship Jesus. All right, Herod was living in Jerusalem at the time. The Old Testament shows us how and where Jesus would be born. So here we see where he is in Jerusalem, but he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is only about six miles away from Jerusalem. And it always says, well, when, when they went up to Bethlehem, so I always in my childish mind pictured Bethlehem north of Jerusalem. But no, Bethlehem was up in those days. They didn't have north and south like we have it. But when you went to Bethlehem, you went up a hill. When you went to Jerusalem, you went up to Jerusalem, up the hill. So Bethlehem is up, (laughs) but it's actually south of Jerusalem. And for those of you who have been there, I've had the privilege of going with Tom Brewer from our church, and many of you have. Many of you have been to Israel. You know that Jerusalem and Bethlehem have grown so close to each other, it's kind of like Bellevue and Issaquah. You're just not sure where one stops and the other starts, except today, there's a wall there with armed teenage guards to keep one out from the other. So that's where this story is going to take place. Well, where did the Magi come from? So I'm going to show you. Scholars believe they came from Babylon. Now, Babylon was where Daniel and the Jews were taken in exile. They were there for 70 years. And there are several ways to get to Babylon. You can go up here or This along the Euphrates River, or perhaps our wise men came this way and then down to Jerusalem. So they came from the east. When he, that's Herod, had called all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, Where was the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So now here is Matthew's actually just nailing this down. This is a real thing. This happened in real time. So it's literal. He wants us to know these are literal. So some uh, in those days believed not in a personal Messiah, but that the nation of Israel would be the savior of the world. But Matthew disproves that to the Jewish believers. And he, this is a quotation from Micah 5:2. But you, Bethlehem, David's country, the runt of the litter, this is from the message, of course, from you will come the leader who will shepherd, rule Israel. He'll be no upstart, no pretender. His family tree is ancient and distinguished. And when Herod read this, He must have flipped out because his family tree was ancient, but not distinguished. So, then we have Herod again. Now, notice here that he's no longer King Herod. Matthew takes that title away from him. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. I love the fact that he did this secretly, but you and I know it. All secrets come out eventually. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. Mm, Aren't I sweet? Yes. (laughs) Oozing charm from every pore. he oils his way around the floor. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, fair lady. So, anyway, this is what Herod, I mean, just this whole picture of him doing this secretly, pretending to worship, is just so him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it arose went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was, and when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. the GPS system is working! And we thought it was broken, but now it's working again. This is the first GPS. Right? Global positioning star. We've got it. He was there, he was showing them where to go and how to go. Alright. I have been a Christian a long time. I became a Christian at age 15 in Malibu, Canada, and I remember I was raised singing Christmas carols going to church but I remember that first Christmas when I was 15 I was walking through Frederick and Nelson that's how old I am in downtown what's in that building now North, Sharks. North, Sharks. North, Sharks. North Sharks. okay I was walking in North <laughs> and I heard Christmas carols and all of a sudden the words spoke to me I knew who they were singing about and I felt same joy that the Magi must have felt, when it first gives you that experience of joy at knowing that Jesus was born and that he was born to be our Savior. So we have these joy givers. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense And Now, I've read sermons that talk about what each of those things meant to the Christ child. But what I think Matthew wants us to get here is this joy that they had. They have made this terrific sacrifice of their time, their energy, and their wealth to give in worship to Jesus. So when you come on a Sunday morning to worship, and you say, I am going to worship today, this gives God the same joy that he had when these wise men worshipped his son. It's all about making some sacrifices to worship God. It's a pleasant, pleasing aroma to him like the frankincense, like the myrrh. The frankincense was a gum obtained from certain trees that was particularly fragrant. The myrrh, also a sap-like substance that came from a tree that grew in Arabia. People use it as a spice in perfume and embalming as well as other applications. So this is a fragrant, aroma, time of worship. And having been warned in a dream, now we've been hearing a lot about dreams. Joseph's had dreams, and now the Magi are going to have this dream. Do not go back to Herod. So they return to their country by another route. But because that whole meeting with Herod and what happened in Jerusalem is recorded in Matthew, they must have told Joseph and Mary everything that happened there. They probably told him. Now, Herod said he wants to come and worship Jesus. And I'm sure, you know, what did this do to them? And then they're warned in a dream. Don't go back there. So they said, well, we were warned in a dream. Don't go back there. So where, how did they get home? Well, I think that instead of, so here's, here's Bethlehem. Instead of going up through Jerusalem and going maybe the way they came, I think they went this way. Way out of the way to Egypt, and up, and over, and around this way to Babylon, because God told them, "Don't go back that same way." So I picture Joseph and Mary. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, what? Wait, wait. See if God tells us what to do. What are we going to do? And when they gone. I picture Joseph tossing and turning. This is as bad as when he heard that Mary was pregnant. What is he going to do? The angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says, Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there till I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Well, Joseph doesn't need anything else. And he gets up, takes the child and Mary during the night, and they flee to Egypt. That whole trip probably financed by the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Probably kept them alive for years until it was time to come back. I call this slide Holy Spirit Guidance. Now, the Bible tells us a lot of things to do. We are not to lie. We are not to steal. We are not to sleep with someone else's spouse. We are not to gossip. We are to live with joy. Uh, when all these things... Don't do things to do, but it doesn't tell you about the little decisions or big decisions you have to make in your life. Shall I take this job or this job? Maybe they're both good. You have to ask God the Father, what should I do? Jesus, tell me, what should I do? Well, my first experience of this kind of Holy Spirit guidance, Ah. Uh, I'm the skinny one up there. <laughs> and this is my friend Sharon. It said so in the back of the picture. I wish I knew her last name. But anyway, at 16 years old, we were selling Seafair pins. In downtown Seattle, we had these lovely blue dresses and red sashes. Can you imagine any girl wearing this today? With these little straw hats. We, we thought we were pretty swish, actually. And we, the Seafair Committee paid us a dollar and a quarter an hour to sell 100 pins a day. A dollar a piece. And I distinctly remember feeling pressure to sell. And how was that? Every day it was like this horrible weight on me. So I was a new Christian and I wanted to live a life of trusting God. So I got in the car, I drove to Cark Peak Park, my favorite beach in Seattle, and I just sat there and I prayed about this. I told Jesus how I was feeling. This was terrible. I didn't want to feel this pressure. And suddenly, I was just overcome with peace, that he cared about me, and he cared about my seatbelt pin sales. (laughs) And so every day I would say, "Okay, Lord, where do you want me to go today? Should I go in this office? Should I go in this building? Should I go in this garage? And a couple of times, the answer was no. And how did I feel no? A sense of danger came over me. So I learned at a very early age to ask and to listen And to act on how I was feeling because Jesus Christ cares about the details of your life. And I knew he cared for me, and it was a wonderful way to start my Christian life. So Joseph is depending on Holy Spirit guidance. So he gets up, he goes to Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, here again, we have a literal fulfillment of God's word. This is from Hosea 11, 1. When Israel was my only child, only a child, I loved him. I called out, my son called him out of Egypt. This is another one of those obscure prophecies that people mistake. They think, well, this is from Hosea. This is, this is about the nation. But no, God is saying here there's a deeper meaning. He always has deeper meanings. And when you have things that happen in your life, sometimes you just want to say, God, why are you doing this? What does this mean? And I had a dear friend in one of my deepest moments of suffering, when my husband was suffering and that first grandchild I told you about when she was t- terribly suffering, both at the same time, and this friend said to me, don't ask God what this is about now. But I can listen to her. So I said, Lord, what is this about? And he said, well, sometimes you have to understand what it meant to me to watch my son suffer. So sometimes there is a deeper meaning, and he will tell you what it is. All right. When Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem. Oh, kill them all. I mean, this is, anyway, this paranoid man. And it's the same, who were two years old and under in accordance with the time when he learned from the Magi. And this is another fulfilling scripture. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Herod, you see, is a baby killer. Heron's history was one of paranoia, terror, murder, and evil, and no one wept when he died. He had a suspicion that no one would weep, and so he had ordered that all the men in his Senate would be brought into a room, and when he died, they'd all be murdered so that their families would weep when he died. Fortunately, his descendants stopped that, and it didn't happen, but that's what he had planned. So he had killed a wife, he had killed sons, Um, anyway. So... After uh, Herod died, an angel of the Lord. Now here we have back to Joseph in Egypt. This angel of the Lord, another dream. Get up, take the child to his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that this hard name, Floyd, was reigning in Judea, in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been born in a dream, again, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth, which was so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he would be called a Nazarene, and this was Mary and Joseph's hometown. So, let's look at these joy robbers and joy givers. First, we have Herod. He's rich, he's famous, and he's ruthless. He has power over people, and he uses it for evil. Now, Some of you might have had bosses like this. You've been in situations like this where somebody has power over you and it is horrible. Uh, My own dear husband had a couple bosses and we just suffered through it, it was horrible. But at the same time, Luke 2 says that there were these shepherds, people who were obscure, you don't know their names, but God revealed himself to them and they brought joy to Mary and Joseph. Then we have the religious scholars. These are the ones in your life who say, you have to follow rules to get to God. If you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to wear certain clothing to worship, etc., etc. But then you have the wise men who come, they throw all that out the window because they don't know anything about the rules to worship. They just worship. And then it says that all Jerusalem was terrified. All the people around, these are people in your lives who are ruled by fear. Maybe they're watching too much news or reading too much news or getting it off their social media and they're terrified all the time. But God, in the midst of that terror, sends these angels to the shepherds and he will send angels to you, people who will lift you up, remind you of who God is and that his message to the human race is joy. And this joy that was given in the worship of the baby Jesus will carry Jesus all his life, and it will drive him to do his Father's will. My favorite verse in closing, Hebrews 12, two, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the of the throne of God there is always joy reunited with God in the end it's our promise and it's our glory he has said it he will keep his word and so that's why Matthew is going to show us about how Jesus embodies everything the father is and he wants us to share his joy we have a few minutes let's sing this again in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter. Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in hell, was made. This gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he gave. Wasting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his, and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. I stand, no guilt in life. No fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power. Eastside Academy and Diane did you find a ride not yet so Diane needs a ride if anybody lives near Costco Kirkland raise your hand Diane if any so people can see if you can give her a ride thank you bye ladies